The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. When the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they themselves got into boats and came to Capernaum looking for Jesus. And when they found him across the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered them and said, Amen, amen, I say to you, you are looking for me not because you saw signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Do not work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him the Father God has set his seal. So they said to him, What can we do to accomplish the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in the one he sent. So they said to him, What sign can you do that we may see and believe in you? What can you do? Our ancestors ate manna in the desert, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. So Jesus said to them, Amen, amen, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave the bread from heaven. My Father gives you the true bread from heaven, for the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never hunger, and whoever believes in me will never thirst. The Gospel of the Lord. The other day I had kind of an unusual experience, and so <clears throat> today I have a few stories of some unusual experiences. And um, <clears throat> the other day, we, ha- we have a lot of anointings here at St. Cecilia. You know, we have, we have an older community, and we serve many um, assisted living facilities and hospice houses and all kinds of things around here. And um, I was at an anointing the other day, and, <clears throat> excuse me, and I've been to this house probably seven or eight times before, and uh, they have a chocolate lab who's like a very rambunctious animal. And so most of the time I walk out of that house, because, you know, I'm wearing black all the time, just covered with chocolate lab hair. And so, you know, I've, got, I've always got a lint roller in my bag. But uh, so I was there that day, and um, I was doing this anointing. And then we invited the caretaker in the room as I was anointing um, this man. And one of the unique experiences that we had that was just so unusual was that during the anointing, the, the dog was over in the corner by its owner. And then at one of the most pivotal parts of the anointing rite, what ended up happening was that right before I was going to impose my hands over this, this gentleman, which is a part of the anointing rite, right before, some of you have been part of this with your own families or, or have even been anointed yourselves. Right at that pivotal moment, the dog walked over to me and sat down in front of me and presented his paw to me. <laughs> I was just like... And so I shook his little paw, <laughs> and then I was like, you know, patted him on the head, and then I moved over, and, and I placed my hands on the head. Thank you, Jack, by the way. And I placed my hands on the gentleman's head um, as a part of the rite. And then I did the anointing, and then I sat back down in the chair. And the dog, in the meanwhile, had went back over to his owner, was in the corner of the room. And then... What ended up happening next is I took the Eucharist out in the pics and I unfolded it on the little corporal that's there. And then I said, 
let us pray in the words that Christ himself has taught us, and the dog walked back over to me, sat down in front of me, and presented both of his paws to me this time. And for the first time in my life, I prayed the Lord's Prayer holding the paws of a dog. <laughs> you know, and it just, I couldn't help but be reminded of when I say, let us pray in the words that Christ himself has taught us, how all of us often join hands in prayer. And it was the strangest, the strangest experience. I've heard things about this, and these are some of the other stories that fill, fill in the gap. The other day, as I was looking up, I was trying to remind myself of another story. And the story I wanted to remind myself of was a famous story of St. Anthony. In this famous story of St. Anthony, there was a man who did not believe in the real presence of Jesus Christ in the Eucharist. And he was kind of arguing vehemently with him about it. And so they sort of had a showdown or like a bet. And he, ba he basically said, I bet that your, your donkey is go would reverence the Eucharist rather than like eat this hay that's there in front of him. And so they scheduled a date for this little showdown three days later. And there's famous depictions of this in like a square. So what the man does is he starves his donkey for three days so that it would be as hungry as humanly possible. But then St. Anthony, in like kind but in a different way, he fasts for three days. So he fasts for three days and they show up that particular day. And as St. Anthony has the Eucharist in a monstrance, and then the man presents the hungry donkey with this handful of hay. The donkey turned away from the hay, walked up to the Eucharist, and bent down and knelt on its forelimbs before the Eucharist, before many, many people. And then he, you know, it was one of those great, I believe, I believe, I believe in the Eucharist. So that man really was converted in that very moment, seeing that. And then I was reading a story. As I looked up, I ran across something, and I realized that one of my, my classmates that I'd studied with in Rome, he was getting his doctorate in Rome. His name's Father Damien Ferenc, and he writes for Word on Fire sometimes. And I noticed a story that he had written for Word on Fire, and so I was reading the story. And he was at a Life Teen event, an event where they were outside, you know, kind of in a more camping environment with a whole bunch of teens. And so he said, you know, they were outdoors, and he was processing with the Eucharist during a holy hour right about to come out. And there he notices a small little spotted dog. And he said, for some reason, he had the overwhelming feeling that he should show the dog the Eucharist, to like actually turn towards the little dog. And so he sort of stops in procession, turns toward the little dog, and the, law, and, and the dog bows down at that very moment. You know, like he said, those of you who have done yoga, he said, downward dog. That's what he did the moment I turned the Eucharist towards him. And then he said, I said to the servers, did you see that? But they were actually reverently, you know, kind of focusing on processing in. And so he was telling the, he said he told the story later on, and he said people were more impressed with his impression of the dog doing downward dog than the story itself because they didn't witness it with their own eyes. And he goes, I suppose the dog could have stretched at that very moment, but it seemed so unusual that I had this unusual urge to turn towards him specifically, and that he did it at the very moment that, that I turned towards him. And then finally, some of you may have heard this story before. Um, many years ago when St. Pope John Paul II was in the United States and he, was, and he was visiting all parts of the East Coast, he was in a seminary in Baltimore and, and nobody could quite predict when he wanted to go into a chapel and pray or make a holy hour or something like that. So they had um, sort of like trained police dogs with them 
so that they could always examine a space to make sure that there was nobody hiding or nobody there like in the chapels. And so on this particular occasion, they ended up bringing the dogs into this chapel in Baltimore. And the dogs were going all through. And of course, these dogs are trained to find uh, survivors under rubble, all kinds of different things, highly trained dogs. And so what happens is the dog walks all throughout, all throughout the um, chapel, but then lays down at the foot of the tabernacle and starts whimpering that it's found somebody living inside of the chapel. And the handlers are like, come on, what are you doing? What are you doing? You know, come on, come on. And then the dog refuses, and he walks back and lays down at the foot of the tabernacle and whimpers because of a living presence inside of the room. <laughs> you know, we don't have the same kind of soul as animals, but I think that one thing that's unique about them is sometimes our very reason, the gift that God gave us, can be the thing that would get in our way. Uh, many, many people who are very smart, very highly intellectual, struggle with a belief in God. But there's a simplicity and an intuition in animals that seems to recognize where they came from, where human beings sometimes have a hard time recognizing where we came from, you know, recognizing the creator itself. And so these are unbelievable stories, and I never thought I would have one of my own until the, the other day. I was recounting this to my mom, and I still am just like picturing myself just dumbfounded with these little paws in my hand praying the Lord's Prayer. I just don't think I'll ever forget that one. But in these moments where we see these creatures recognizing our Lord in the Eucharist, it points to something that's so important to us is this yearning that each one of us has deep inside of ourselves. One thing that I often say at funeral masses, and um, I was a little overcome by this last night at the 5 p.m. mass because I've been here for a little over a year now, and you never know when the Lord's just going to give this big (laughs) grace to you. You just never know when it's coming. And I looked out upon everybody there, and I saw so many people that I worked with multiple people whose families where I had buried one of their loved ones, and multiple people who I work with on a regular occasion, other people whose, you know, whose weddings I've witnessed, other people that I see at daily mass all the time. And I had this overwhelming feeling of where I stand in the network of connection for God. And I was just like, you know, it was kind of one of those moments where you're like, I felt like I should do downward dog. I'm not worthy, Lord. You know, I just, I just felt like that so strongly. Because in the end, the only reason that I'm here is so that the Lord could create the Eucharist through me, just as an in- instrument, as a conduit, so that he could bring it to his people, so that he can bind them together and be the source of things that bind them together. So what I often say at funerals is, C.S. Lewis, who wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, I'm sure many of you have read some of his books and some of his other great works, he was an atheist, and he really struggled with a belief in God. Again, a very smart man, struggling with a belief in God. Sometimes when somebody's very smart intellectually, they have all kinds of other reasons that they could come up with to convince themselves that God does not exist. And so he was struggling with his belief in God, but he was good friends with J.R.R. Tolkien, who wrote The Lord of the Rings as well. So he had other good Christian influences within his circle of friends. One of the things, the clincher for him, the turning point for him, was he looked at 
the hunger in our life, the restlessness in our life. He looked at each one of us and how we always long to be happy, content, and satisfied in our life. He's just like, we have this crazy innate drive within us to be completely satiated, to be completely satisfied. And, you know, you think about this moment. What does Jesus say to all of the people in this particular scene of the gospel? You're not here because of the signs. You're here because you ate and were filled up. You know, he realizes that they were like, that's what they're longing for, to not hunger anymore. The same thing happens with the woman at the well. You know, he talks about living water. And then she's like, Lord, give me this living water so I don't have to come here to the well and draw anymore. You know, and at the very end here, he says, you will not hunger anymore and you will not thirst. Those who are in me, those that abide in Christ. And so one of the things the C.S. Lewis, is, he realizes is that none of these things exist on this earth. I often give the example, just think about when you went to sleep last night. Maybe you were on your left side and then you're like, my shoulder hurts. And so you roll over on your left side and you're like, my right shoulder hurts. And then you have to get up and go to the bathroom and then you're like, I'm thirsty. And this is our most restful state that we have sleeping. And we're still all over the place. He realized, why would we have this desire unless it actually existed? Why are we so driven towards it? It does in fact exist, but it exists in heaven and not on this earth. And you'll realize in Jesus's ministry, everything that he says to people is to try to get them to focus on a heavenly reality and not on an earthly one. He says, my kingdom is not of this world, it is elsewhere. You know, he says, he comes to Galilee preaching and saying, the kingdom of God is at hand, like as in at hand now. Repent and believe in the gospel now. All of his, call, all of his calls to conversion are like in the now, in the present. And he's always saying, it's like you're thinking as men do, not as God does. Everything points to focusing on a heavenly reality and not focusing on our earthly reality. That's that his main part of his mission on, on earth. And so C.S. Lewis finally realized that. He's like, oh my gosh, we're oriented towards a completely different place than this world that we live in. And that's why the drive is there, but that's why we're never satisfied here. But there is the one thing that the Lord gives us that happens right here on this altar and that is kept right there in that tabernacle that that dog recognized one day, is it is the true presence of the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ that comes to fruition on this altar by his almighty power. That's the thing that binds us together. Like I said, I've been amazed at seeing the network that happens around the church and the people that I recognize just in the ministry of the church. But that's nothing compared to the way that he feeds us. But the thing is, it's like, all of this is oriented towards some sort of transformation in our life. Because what it means is once we step outside of this church, we really have to start changing our life so that we're oriented 
towards the heavenly reality instead of towards the earthly one. You know, we, we hear in, um, in Job, he says, you know, naked I came into this world, and naked I will leave it. That's a constant reminder for us in this world that we can't take any of the things that we have here with us, that we truly do have to detach ourselves. There's a reality of needing to use, utilize things in our life because we're human beings and we actually have real needs of food and water and shelter and safety. All of those things are realities. But the question is, how attached to them are we compared to how attached we are to where we're supposed to be in, in heaven with God? And so every single time that we come in here to feed on the body and blood of our Lord, we really need to pray for transformation. And it's just like, what, what does that mean? Like, what does that really mean, though? It's like, we come in and we receive, but we need to ask for the thing. I often say it like that. Asking for the thing is just like, Lord, I need this thing. Pick the thing. You know the thing. All of us know the things, right? What is the thing dragging us down? What is this thing that stands in our way between Jesus and, you know, that heavenly reality? And say, like, Lord, this is the thing I need you to transform. And I, I say this often, but I think it's so important for us to realize that, again, it's at the foot of an altar of sacrifice that we lay those things down to be transformed. That is what the Lord does for us. He lays his body and blood down as a sacrifice for every one of us. So we take the thing that stands in the way between us and him and lay that down. Let it go. But the only way to do that in kind of a concrete way is to call it to mind and to offer it to our Lord Jesus Christ. And there's no better time to do that than every week at the Mass. And for some of you, every day that you come to Mass, you take that thing, you mentally bring it to mind, and you're like, Lord, this is where I struggle. This is what's holding me back. I offer it to you. Take it. Take it in your mind. Take it in your mind's eye and place it down at the foot of this altar today and say, change me, Lord. Transform me. Orient me towards your heavenly reality. If we can do that, if we can take a concrete step in our spiritual life to, to, to change, to actually transform, it helps us. Sometimes if it's too abstract and we're not willing to actually sort of say the words in our mind, we might not know what they are. <laughs> we, not, we might not have identified the thing that's actually standing in our way. And so we want to be able to recognize, just like all those little pups did, <laughs> immediately our Lord in the Eucharist. So that when, he, when we see him, we're like, there's no other thing. There's no other thing. We gaze up at the elevation of the Eucharist and we see the ultimate reality before us. And our only response ends up being that of reverence about bowing before the true Lord of the universe. God bless you all.